Good morning, everyone. Ho, everyone that's thirsty, come to the waters. You remember on the back of your worship folders, we have all the uh, programs that we're having during the week, Bible studies and our hot potatoes class. Also the shelf for the food that we give to those who can't afford it and also the baby chains. And then also next week, we're gonna have slips of paper. If you haven't signed up already, our emergency church weather alternate uh, alert system, where if we have a, let's say for instance, a snowstorm and we cancel church, it will all be on the networks, but then it also, I will text you if you want and you'll get that information to you. Worthy are you, O Lord and our God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things and because of your will, they exist and they will, were created. Let's, um, as we, before we stand up and sing, Steve, would you wanna read us the history behind the love of God? This hymn was written by Frederick M. Lehman in 1917. There's no scriptural reference for the lyrics, but since the song is about God's love, John 3.16 and Romans 8.38-39 are appropriate. John 3.16 is possibly the most quoted of Bible verses. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The author attempts to describe the indescribable. In verse 1, he speaks of God's love as so vast that it is bigger than the universe. He also refers to God giving his son to reconcile our sin. The second verse states that if all the oceans were filled with ink, the entire sky made of paper, and every man on earth a writer, to truly describe God's love would be an impossible task. Let's stand together as we sing the love of God. The love of God is greater far than one man can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty To win his erring child, he reconciled and poured in from his sin. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless. And every man a 
scribe by trade to write the law of God above would drain the ocean dry nor could the scroll contain the whole who stretched the Please join me in this morning's prayer of confession. Our Father in heaven, your name is the most sacred name in all eternity. We confess and seek your forgiveness for the times we have said it in vain. We admit that we have often prayed for your kingdom to come and your will to be done, but we have not always meant it. There have been times when we wanted our will to be done and for you to get with the program and make it happen. We confess our lack of trust in your all-knowing mind and gracious kindness for our future. We believe, Lord, but help us in our moments of doubt and unbelief. All this we pray in the precious blood of Jesus that washes these and all our other sins away. Amen. Our assurance of forgiveness this morning is taken from 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Guidelines for living this morning is taken from 1 John, 2, chap, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Let's continue in our worship. Let's stand together. We sing two praise choruses this morning.
the power of your love. You may be seated. This time we'll receive our offering. Love Lifted Me was written by James Rowe, who lived between 1865 and 1933. The music was composed by Howard E. Smith, who lived between 1863 and 1918. We don't know exactly when the song was written, nor do we have a direct scriptural reference. However, Psalm 51 verses 3 and 10 seem to fit, as they say, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me, and... Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for such great love you have for us. We thank you for the privilege that we have to be called your children. We thank you for the blessings of this country and the material blessings we have. And we thank you also for the wonderful hope that we have in you, Jesus. I pray, Father God, now receive these gifts from our love and our joy for you in Jesus' name. Amen. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. Every day they stayed within, seeking to rise no more. But the master of the despairing cry from the waters lifted me to save love lifted me love lifted me when nothing else could help love lifted me love lifted me interesting uh, 
had a sister in the Lord come out of church this morning after we sang that. And um, she said to me, um, she had lost her son, and tragically, and <clears throat> she said for a long time it was hard for her to come to church. And she said, and one day the corner turned on that because she said, we sang that song, Love Lifted Me. And she said that's what made her feel that this is where she belonged. And the love of God needed to surround her in her pain and so sorrow for the loss of that son. So let's come together to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you for this beautiful day that we have, Lord. <clears throat> we pray, Lord, especially for the challenges of our lives. We thank especially, Father God, too, for the opportunities we have every day to glorify you. I thank you for this nation. There's a lot of things wrong with it, but Lord, we're so grateful that we're here. It's still the greatest nation in the world, and we're truly blessed to be members of this great world, and especially to be Americans. We also thank you for our Christian faith and the joy that we have to be called your children because of Jesus. And I pray, Father God, especially for our nation, for its leaders. We continue to lift them up, <clears throat> to grab a hold of the thoughts that our early nation's fathers had. A land that was free and that people's inalienable rights that they could have because you bestowed it upon them and they could be free. We praise you, Lord, too, for the people that surround us and keep us safe and keep us in this society that sometimes can be chaotic, but they enter into the foe and bring peace. We pray also for those grave men and women who are on foreign soil that are protecting us also. And we pray, Father God, today, too, for two families that have been touched by death. We think of Bill Bannister, who was laid to rest yesterday, and we thank you, Lord, for the wonderful testimony and hope that he had in Jesus. And that Connie and the kids and family can rest assured that in their grief, the joy of knowing that he's with you today. We pray also, too, for our, our little sister, Evelyn, who, Lord, <clears throat> we thank you, Lord, that she no longer has more pain or suffering from her arthritis, but she's with you today in glory and also with her family, friends that have gone on. We thank you for the hope that they have. And I pray, Lord, as we have a service for your glory and to honor her on Tuesday, Lord, that it will be such. And that if there's anybody there does not know you, Christ, and are short of what's going to happen to them after death, that they go away that day knowing for sure. I pray also, too, for Lucille and for Joyce. And for Karen, who are shut-ins to our group, we want to pray also, too, for a friend whose family is being divorced and being separated. Lord, I just pray for them. I pray for a young couple that married last week on Sunday afternoon for Shane and Michelle, Lord, I mean, <clears throat> that you'll be with Chase and Michelle, as they begin this marriage together, may it be blessed of you, God. I pray also, too, Father God, for uh, Joyce Ragland, whose back is very bad shape. As she waits surgery, be with her. I 
pray for Howard's grandson, who was in a horrific car wreck as a police officer. And, and we're thankful that his life was spared and that, Lord, he's doing well. And, and the person that he had also that pulled in front of him, that also is well. I pray also, too, Father God, for Everett and, and Angie and Samantha and Jason and Jordan and also uh, Road Armor, Lord, all these that are battling cancer. I pray that you'll be with them. I pray for the kids that are in college and that are, Lord, that you'll protect them and watch over them as they move forward in their lives. Protect their minds from the foolishness of the age that we're in. Help them to study to be themselves approved unto God. I pray for Brother Christensen, a Christian who uh, hurt his leg this week. I pray for healing for that. I pray for Nick, who is going waiting surgery, Lord, and that he can have it down in Oklahoma and everything will be well. I pray for Mr. Mack, a teacher here at the school that's got cancer that he's battling. I pray also, too, Father, for uh, Adrian, a little girl that used to go here and now is a mom of a young man, <clears throat> but to her son right now is missing in Utah. And I just pray, Lord, they can find him and everything is fine. I just pray that you'll be with them. And now, Father God, as we open up your word, we need your help. We need your help because, Lord, we know without knowing your help that it's easy to get lost and not figure it out. So today, God, I pray that you'll open up your word. I pray also, too, um, to be reminded that Tom's wife, Kay, for her help, too, Lord, she's been struggling with her health. And now, Father, speak to us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> What do you think is the most memorized scripture in the Bible? Some people believe it's John 3.16 because of that guy with the weird hair. And used to be able to sit in end zones and publish that John 3.16 words. But that's not true. In fact, I've known people who never opened up a Bible. I know people who... <clears throat> don't know anything about the Bible, but they do know this one Bible verse. It's the words that Jesus said to us, judge not that you be not judged. Now, I remember as a little pagan, my father was correcting me one time, and I decided to throw that one at him. And I said, Dad, you're a Christian. You're not supposed to judge me. <laughs> That didn't go over too good, okay? Let's just put it out there. And what happens is sometimes we see people use that as a blanket statement to be their get-out-of-jail card of guilt, especially when you're talking to them about something that they're involved in and they're wrong and they know they're doing wrong. A lot of times they'll use that phrase to back you off. Well, today now, too, also, too, that there are also people who use... Who do you think you are? Judge Judy. And what they're talking about, Judge Judy from Judy Scheinman, who's a, from Connecticut and was a New York State <clears throat> um, judge who now makes $26 million a year to fly across the country to do a couple of videos down in California 
of doing arbitration for couples who are having problems with the difficulties and that she's the hard-nosed judge behind the bench that really lets people have it and uses her Jewish humor. Well, <clears throat> the Bible here speaks to us today. And Jesus says not to judge. If you remember, we started out with Jesus being baptized and then being tempted. And right after his temptation that he conquered, he was brought disciples. And he took them by the hill and they began to teach them what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Remember that blessed are the poor, poor spiritually, blessed are those who mourn over their sin. And he used the second person and basically gave us a charge as disciples too that we're to be the salt of the earth and we're to purge our society from the ills and also to help people see what is right. Martin Luther King said the church is really the conscience of the nation which has lost its power. And then <clears throat> he also said that we're to be the light to direct people to Jesus and also to expose those wrongs in our society. And then Jesus went on to deal with the law. Remember what he said? He said, thou shalt not commit adultery. And he said, with looking on a woman. He said, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear wolf witness. And Jesus dealt with some of those. And then Jesus went on to speak about righteousness. That our righteousness is to be higher than the Pharisees who kept very articulately the physical law that God had given on the Sermon on the Mount. Then Jesus also talked in chapter 6, moving from the theology, orthodoxy, to orthopraxy, the practice of good faith. And he dealt with giving and fasting and praying. And how you're not to ring a bell when you're praying and show off to everybody that you're real spiritual. And then he talked about our treasures. What do we treasure in life? And then right after that, he talked about worry. If you remember last week, he talked about worrying and how that's a sin in our lives too. And we have to, how we can combat that. We know that we have a father in heaven who takes care of us. Well, today Jesus talks about judging. That affects our relationship with God and it also reflects our relationship with each other. And so Jesus comes to us today with his disciples and says, do not judge that you may not be judged. We know Jesus didn't say not to discriminate and not to evaluate situations. The Bible here speaks about it very plainly. Look what he says in Paul's letter to the Philippians. He says, I pray that you love may abound more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until that day of Christ. And so we as Christians are supposed to be evaluators. We are supposed to see things that are good for us and are also not so good. But there's a thing called sin. <clears throat> and it's like the virus of SARS that we have in our country. Remember that severe acute respiratory syndrome that people were getting sick from? And how easy it is to spread. Well, sin will do that to us too. And Jesus is taking us in the searchlight of the word. And he says, be careful. As a believer in the Lord and as people who love me, it's very easy to start being judgmental to people. And it's a way in which our sinful nature tries to make us feel better than everybody else. 
And that we put people down as soon as we find the least little thing they've done. And that we need to really be people who truly love God and others, as he promised. You know, as well as I do, how easy is it to criticize somebody or condemn somebody? How easy is it for us to misjudge somebody's actions? Sometimes we come with prejudices in our mind, like Nathaniel. When Philip said he found Jesus and he said he's the Messiah... Nathaniel said, are you kidding me? Nothing good can come out of Nazareth. He was prejudiced there. Sometimes we have that tendency. Because sometimes we are prejudiced against people. Maybe we're envious of them and we want to have what they have. And because of that, we'll put them down in front of other people. You see, this is the danger of condemnation. Because when we do that, we are hurting ourselves. One of the reasons it is is because we're always judging folks and we're making ourselves look poor in front of our friends and we don't even know it. And how sad that makes us look. And that we as Christians should be supporters and lovers of people. It also makes us think that we're God. People begin to look at us and think, who are they to judge anybody? What we're really doing is usurping God's authority. And the only one that's qualified to really judge anyone is God Almighty. And what we find is, instead, we need to do what Aquila and Priscilla did with Apollos. Apollos was preaching the word, and he was confused. Instead of talking behind his back and talking to other people and putting him down, Aquila and Priscilla went to Apollos, pulled him aside, and began to teach him in Acts chapter 18 the truth. That was love. And you see, that's the other thing that we do when we start condemning and putting people down in judgmentalism. Is that we're not loving our neighbor as we should. James tells us not to speak evil of another, but rather to lift them up. That we just really love people as Christ loved the church. And we lift them up. And that sometimes we condemn because we also have double standards. Sometimes we have standards for ourselves. And we have other standards that are harsher on people. And we may not like or don't want to like. Jesus had that in John chapter 8. When Jesus was teaching, they brought a woman who was caught in adultery. And according to the law... She could have been stoned to death. And the scribes and the Pharisees knew that and they wanted to put Jesus on a hot seat. And so here they are being very judgmental to this woman. No compassion. And they say, what are you going to do about it, Jesus? He bows down, gets in the sand, he starts writing stuff. And one by one, the accusers leave. And there are commentators who believe that what Jesus was doing, he was writing sins of those people who were going to condemn her and writing them out on the sand. And when they saw what Jesus wrote, they left. Because they were being condemned by their own thoughts. Because they found something in someone else 
and they were judging harsh of her. But they really didn't understand how they had things in their own life that failed. Now, Jesus is not telling us to shut our eyes to things that are going on. But he wants us to have the appropriate attitude with helping people and loving them. But that cynical looking down upon people and trying to hurt them. And I've even heard people who would talk about certain people with gossip and stuff like that. Because they want to feel better than they are. That's sad. Because God's given everyone a wonderful gift. God's given everybody a beautiful life. And we don't have to put down people. Sometimes there's churches. And I'm grateful this church has never had it. Where we have spiritual vultures. Who basically like vultures, they look for somebody to make a mistake. Or somebody that's not living the right way. And mean spirit is slander them in front of other people. And really it's a disguise for envy. Because they see that person walking the way they should and they're embarrassed. So it's easy to bring them down to their level. It's disguise of envy, of course. Some people find faults and they love secretly to gloat inside that that person has fallen. They love to watch that happen because it makes themselves feel good. And that's what Jesus is speaking about. He's talking about those who judge in a very wrong way. To put somebody in the ground. To bury them. Think about it. What kind of a mind thinks of gloating over somebody's failure in their life morally or in another area? How sick is that? How sick is it when somebody judges another one quickly and doesn't get the whole story, but quickly jumps out and, and, and gets on that person? And puts them down. How many of us have seen people who are critical of others? Not letting them off the ground. And then sometimes dismissing, oh, I was only joking. No, you were not. You meant what you said. That barb that you said. And then adding just negative stories. Taking pleasure in condemning other people. And telling the truth in order not to help heal the situation, but to hurt it. There are people who do that. And minimizing their own sin while magnifying the sins of others. And Jesus is coming to us today and says to us, when you judge... Are you judging, is it really needful or is it needless? When you judge people and look at them, are you dealing with some unfounded truth? But you want to use it anyway to hurt them? Are you hasty in your judgment? Are you severe? Sometimes this can happen with couples in their marriages. 
Sometimes this can happen with friends and in churches. And so Jesus now comes to us and says, here's how we do this thing. And he says, for the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measurement, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your eye, your brother's eye, and do not notice the log in your own eye? Well, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? And behold, there's a log in your own eye, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, Jesus here is speaking in a hyperbola. I have a friend that was reading this to his grandson for the first time. And he said his grandson, in the middle of this, as he was reading it, he said he was cracking up. He said, Grandpa, somebody has a log in their eye. How can that be? The grandpa said, yeah. And tried to explain it to him. That sometimes we can get things in our eyes that we can't see clearly. Because we are blocked by our vision. And sometimes we do one of two things when we've done something wrong ourselves or when we come to God in our confession. You know, sometimes I know people who have very shallow examinations of their soul and life and kind of think everything's going cool. And they haven't dealt with a lot of stuff that's going on inside. And it shows when another crisis hits their life. And that's when they need to deal with what's been going on inside them. And they haven't done that self-examination before the Lord. As David wound up having to do after he realized his sin. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. Because sometimes we have stuff, as it, God said to Cain before he killed Babel. He said, you've got sin crouching in your heart, ready to jump on your brother. And Cain didn't hear the warning. And sometimes we do things because we haven't taken that examination and look deep within our heart. But there are other people who, when they look at themselves and they <clears throat> get in prayer and confessing their sins, it's almost like a perpetual autopsy. And they're constantly looking deep and how terrible of a person they are. And they never can get out and do what they need to do because they're afraid to. They're crippled. And they defeat themselves. And there are some who are afraid to get out into the world. Because they're afraid of being tarnished. They would rather spend the time in Montana on a hill away from everybody reading the Bible. This is what the monastic life was about. They thought that if they went into monasteries, they'd never sin. And in fact, when they went into those monasteries, they found out how sinful they really were. People think if, if they're exposed too much. I had a friend. <laughs> when I first came here, <clears throat> I had a cover for a pastor out in Kansas City for a meeting. And I was coming back about 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. And I received a call from this gal from New Jersey. And she was a friend of mine. Her husband was an undercover detective in New Jersey. 
in the police department that we're in. And she said, I really, I'm, I'm in Kansas and I'd like to talk to you. Oh, I said, yeah. I said, where are you? She says, in Topeka. I'm at the clinic, manager clinic for nursing. She was a nurse. And I said, well, I'm on my way back to Wichita and it's right on my way. I can stop by in Topeka and I can meet with you. And so I met with her and a couple of her friends that were nurses. And then she shared with me, her husband was an undercover detective. But what had happened was she said, we just finished up our divorce. Because what had happened when he went undercover, he started buying into the lifestyle, became a heroin addict and wound up leaving her for a prostitute. Lost his job, lost his family. And she said, here I am, I'm just through the divorce. You see, it's easy to get scared of the world because we know that we could easily get sucked in. And that's why we need to be aware of who, what's going on inside of us. And that when we discover that, we can battle better in that world and know our vulnerabilities so that we can attack it better. And that we understand that sometimes we have double standards. You know, we have a double standard for ourselves sometimes a double standard for other people. We need to be careful of that, you see, because we need to look deep within our souls, too, in order to help other people. And that we don't let the log stay in our eye. Because we know we're imperfect. We fail every day. And it's easy to look on somebody else's sin, but not see our own. This is what happened with David in the, New, in the Old Testament. You remember what David did? He committed adultery. And in his adultery, he gets a call, gets a, a message from Bathsheba that she's pregnant. How am I going to deal with this? So he calls her husband in the general from the field. Figuring that he would sleep with her that night when he came in to see David. And instead he didn't. He said, I can't do it because my men are out in the field still. Then he tries a second night to get it to happen, only this time he gets them drunk with a bunch of guys so to make sure that he would go, and then she, he doesn't. And David realizes he's a better man than he is. So David talks to the general, Joab, and says, send them out into battle. And let everybody else know the signal that you have to withdraw except him. And that's what happens. And the soldiers withdraw, but... Her husband is left out in the middle by himself and was killed. Uriah was killed. And you see, David tried to bury that. He made himself look good because he married Bathsheba, who was a widow now with a baby. Nobody understood that it was his baby. Except there was a guy by the name of Nathan, the prophet, who went to David and said, David... There's a guy who's very wealthy. He have a whole bunch of sheep. But guess what? He had a neighbor only and he had, was very poor and only had one sheep. And he took it from that neighbor and slayed it for himself. Basically, he robbed it. And David went off like a rocket. Uncontrollable. How could anybody do that? That's evil. Who is it? 
And Nathan says, David, it was you. You stole from Uriah, his wife. You're the one, David. And that sent David to realizing his sinfulness. But you see, up until that point, he really was not recognizing his own failure. God forgave him, but he paid dearly. And you see, we need that first. And this is what Jesus says now. He says, in order to really help people, we need to be patient. We need to be humble and look at our own sins before we look at other people's. And then we have a true godly sorrow for our own sin. And then with a loving attitude, not a hypocritical attitude, not a condescending attitude, not looking down at somebody else, but having our eyes operated on so that we get the log out of it and so that we can dearly love people. Oh, it's so easy to pick, nitpick. I've seen that happen with spouses. They use that to get under each other's skin, want to take control. And Jesus says, don't judge. But rather, use it in a way that's pleasing to God's sight. Now, there are people who look down on us as Christians who really care about people. And I know I've seen it before. And yet God has worked miracles in their lives when they accept it. And Jesus has a moral standard for us to stand by. And we need to be evaluators. And look what the Bible says to us in Galatians chapter 6. One, Brethren, if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, not condemning, not looking to get a pound of flesh, but restore that one in the spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you may, you too will not be tempted because we all get tempted. We all fail. And Jesus here is talking to us about getting clean in our own selves and seeing our wrongs and then helping other people because I love this phrase that Paul Little used to use. He said it's as if one beggar is teaching another beggar how to find food. And we're all sinners. We need each other's help, not judgment. Yes, we need to be discerning. It's like one of Aesop's fables. I love this story because what happened with Aesop's fable is that there was a lion at a cave. And he would make believe that he was sick. And he said to everybody, come on in and help me. And every person that went by, they went in, but they never came out. And one day the fox was going by, the lion, and the lion said, come on, I need your help. Come in, I need, I need help because I'm sick. And the fox said, I don't think so. Because all I see is Paul Prince going in, but I don't see anybody coming out. He was wise. And we need to be discerning. Loving and helping people and not becoming nitpicky. 
Not nitpicky with our kids, not nitpicky with our, with our, our spouses, not nitpicky with our friends, but rather loving people as they are and realizing we're on the same level. We need each other to pick each other up and to be able to be encouraged not to fall because it's so easy to fall and that we're sinners. It's easy to make judgments that are not true. Missed the point. I was reading about this one couple who sent their young man to an Eastern school of Harvard. And the president at Harvard, when the son died at Harvard, the president had an appointment with the family, the mom and dad. They were regularly dressed. They had an older car. And they said, well, we would like to do something for the school. Maybe build a building. He kind of chuckled at them and blew them off. He felt for them, but he didn't think they had anything to offer for him. Well, because of that, they walked out and were very disappointed in the reception he gave them. So they went back to California and they started a little college. They had $26 million to give and they put it down on a new college called Stanford University. And it was their son, Elliot Stanford, that had died. And they started Stanford University. See, we can so easily misjudge people. And we have so many different extremes that we can go to. But God wants us to have the hearts that will listen and understand the pain and be able to help people beyond their sin. But we need to be discerners. We need to be able to listen and help them through that stuff. And sometimes it's hard. But we need to get the log out of our own eyes. And then be able to help them, not as accusers, but as encouragers. Because look what Jesus says. He gives us the caveat. If I can get it to go. Do not give to the holy to dogs. And not throw your pearls before swine. Or they will be trampled them under their feet. And turn and tear you to pieces. Here again, Jesus is using his humor. No one would ever take pearls and throw them under a swine. Nobody would throw them before a dog. And Jesus is saying, you see, this is a valuable thing. And you need to be able to evaluate properly. But not with a judgmental attitude. But with an open heart of love. Seeing their struggle. And helping them. And not make judgments that are push people away. I know sometimes I am tempted to think when a guy's standing at the light with that cardboard box, what do you think? You find yourself saying, why don't you get a job? If you're healthy enough to stand there for eight hours, why can't you go find a job? Why can't you do something else? See, and it's easy to fool that, and we don't know that person's background. We don't know what they're thinking. 
We don't understand whether they're mentally ill or not. Whether they can hold down a job. And that we need to be discerning and helping. We need to help the society. Now you and I know. Our society needs the light. (laughs) Because there's so much darkness. We live in a society that claims that we all need to be tolerant. And I understand that. But we're not to accept the false, the untrue, the lies. Yes, we're to understand people who need help. We don't judge them. We help them get into their lives and understand what they need and to show them how they need Jesus Christ and his right and wrong in their lives. Because you see, tolerance, a lot of people are using it today as, well, we disagree with each other and we don't want to be judged and we don't want the truth. Some people say that tolerance is just a way until they get into power and then they lose tolerance for us. You see, what we need to do is we do it the way Jesus did it. George Orwell once said that the further society drifts from the truth, the more they will hate those who speak it. And we need, as Jesus says, not to cast pearls before swine. We need the discernment and tell people honestly what we think and how what they're doing is so wrong. My brother drives after his school when he's not coaching students, teaches them how to drive a car. And one day, A young man by the name of Joe was going to be a student. He pulled up in front of the house and the young man came out with high heels on, a skirt, and a wig. And my brother said to him as he got in the car, he said, nice to meet you, Joe. He says, I prefer you to call me they. And my brother said, well, excuse me, but I'm not going to. Call you they because that's grammatically incorrect. And I'm going to call you Joe because that's the legal name that's going on your license. He's willing to speak the truth to this kid. And our job is to speak the truth. If I came in here next Sunday and I'm wearing a dress and high heels and lipstick. And I would say that I'm an Asian woman and I'm 18 years old. I would hope that you'd all put me in the car and call the police and take me to Good Shepherd Psychiatric Hospital. Because that's what I need. I need some compassion because I'm a sick individual if I ever do that. And you see, this is where we as Christians need to stand. Because some of you were watching the ESPN Awards two years ago. And the Arthur Ashe Award for Courage went to a man by the name of Bruce Jenner who came out dressed like a woman. 
and was raved for his courage to come out and share that he really is a woman. Friends, his friends are not being friends. They're not helpful to him. They are basically encouraging sin. A man who was created by the image of God to be a man was born in his mother's, out of his mother's womb, who was made by God. And Psalm 139 says he intricately made that man and he became an Olympic superstar for many years and then to turn to become a woman. That he needs to understand that, no, you have a psychological problem. You see, but this is where our world is now today. We learned about this Wednesday night. We, as Christians in America, even if you weren't a Christian, in America you accepted that there's a transcendence, a God who gives us life, liberty, and happiness. That's in our Constitution. Those are inalienable rights that are bestowed from God. Today, the thinking is, and for the last several years, has become Marxist. And that means that God is out of the picture. And whatever anybody else decides, that's the rule of law. And if you have the power and the right amount of people, you can change it to be what you want it to be. And this is why people are so confused today. Because we've eliminated God out of the picture and we've accepted Marxism, which is going according to what the majority says it is. We've seen this in psychology, have we not? For many years, homosexuality was considered a psychological disorder. Guess what? No longer is. In the American Psychiatric Association Journal, it's just another form of lifestyle. My brother has to teach health in New Jersey, and it's now seen as another option to life. And you know how that happened? Because there was a group of people who voted to make it not happen anymore to be a psychological problem. There are people who right now are doing that with the transgender. They're trying to make that normalize. And they're trying to get it removed from their book as saying that it's not a psychological problem, a disorder, they're calling it. It's just somebody living the way they want to live. It's a choice. And you see, this is what's killing our society. It's going according to the world thought. And we need to stand up and be honest with people. And say, yes, I love you, but I'm not going to encourage your cycle problems. I'm not going to encourage you with your brokenness. You need Christ. You need to have something fixed inside of you. God created this way and you're looking another way and you want to change. No matter what you do to your body, you will never change an XY. You will never change your XX. You'll always be that. Because God made you that way. And we need to let them know that, honestly. 
We need to help them to see that God wants to help them. He wants to be strong. He wants us to live in the life that he's given to us for joy and for the glory of God, not for the glory of man. And sadly, many of them are feeling after they do all this, they're the same dissatisfied people and have illness still of unsatisfaction because they've done what they wanted and it still hasn't brought them the happiness that only Christ can give. So today, Jesus has removed the speck from your eye. Gently and lovingly go to them and speak with them. I'm in dialogue with a friend right now that's struggling with their life. I have a friend that lost a child while she was in high school. Her daughter took her life because she was so disoriented about who she was. She needed somebody to help her see God had created before and appreciate that. And we need to be able to do that for people. 19th century. Most astronomers knew Percival Lowell. And when Jesus said, remove the light from your eye, Percival didn't know that he had a problem. And if I don't know, if you've ever been down to Flagstaff, Arizona, the Lowell Telescope, if you've ever been there. It's a huge telescope that he used. And it was interesting that when he started to observe Mars, he said there's wonderful water canals on Mars. And everybody in the industry just said, oh, yeah, you're right. Sure enough because he had the big telescope, but he was an expert. Years later, when we've become more and more aware of what Mars looks like, they never found a canal. There were none. You know why? Because Lowell, when he looked into that telescope, he had an eye condition that the red veins in his eyes were going over his sight. And he wasn't seeing canals. He was seeing those veins in his own eyes as he was observing Mars. And Jesus says to us, take those out of your eye, but then lovingly discern and help the people that need help to see what's right and what's good in life and not miss out on what God has for them. And you see, that's the tragedy today. I, the other day, I heard it. We've had the highest overdose rate ever in this country. Why are kids wanting to escape through drugs? Why do we have last year also, we did another great height we climbed. That was the most suicide ever in this history of this nation. Why? Because people are hopeless. And they have nothing to guide them. 
Because we've taken out the transcendence. And you and I need to help people to see that transcendence is so important that they see God. And that they understand that God has a special purpose for their life. And not to sit down and worry about what kind of gender they are. But rather to see God's glory and give glory to God. And make a difference. Have a purpose. Great purpose you could ever know in life is to live for the glory of God. And all that other stuff will come. And so Jesus comes to us. Comes through the words of Paul and Timothy where he said, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. But we need to be kind to all. Able to teach and be patient. Wrong. With gentleness and correcting of those who are op opposition. Perhaps God may grant that repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. I know one day I approached a man. Some friends were worried about him because he was sitting out by McDonald's here <clears throat> on 21st of Mays. They didn't know it or not, but they called me and they said, Pastor Dave, there's a woman sitting by the bus stop on that park bench. And it's 105. Can you make sure that that person's okay? I drove over. And as I walked up, I felt it was a little odd. But I remember the words from <laughs> that great theologian, Jerry Seinfeld, man hands. And then I saw this woman dressed in a dress. And I thought, nah. and I made sure that they were okay. And I took down his birth and his social security and I ran it through the police department. And it wasn't a woman, it was a man. And I felt sorry for him. And I went back and talked to him a little bit, but he didn't want to touch that. And I was trying to get close to him to help him to see and maybe see about Jesus but he didn't want to hear it and you'll get that but you never know maybe that was the beginning of a kindness to him that maybe another Christian can do and then we're not to be condemning you know my first thought was what a big joke in fact the dispatcher when she told me that it was a man I had chuckled, and I can understand, but I had compassion on him, trying to figure out what in this person's past would make them do that, do such a public exhibition of walking around as a woman's dress on and being a man. Is there hurt there that maybe he never dealt with? The way he was treated? I've had friends that had been rejected by their dads. Men who became gay. And I have had 
a couple of them that came out of that lifestyle because they really finally realized the father that they could love him, which was God. See, and that's why the Bible tells us, you know, and this is what our verse is on Wednesday night, but I can't say this enough. And this is what Jesus is saying to us. He says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. It means get our hearts right. Not judgmental, but compassionate to people. And always be ready to make a defense of everyone who asks to give it an account of the hope that is in us. You know, we have such a great hope. Yesterday when I did Bill Bannister's funeral, you know, I had talked to him many times and he talked about how he was looking forward to seeing Jesus finally. And as he went from a hulking man of 2.30 and always worked out to maybe a 120. In fact, his wife said that when she poked him one night to tease him in his stomach, she could feel the bone in his back. He had gone down that far. You know, Bill had Parkinson's and he also had a huge tumor on the side of his head from his brain. But he knew that he was going to go be with Jesus. And what a wonderful joy it was to bury him yesterday. Out of his pain and suffering and in with the Lord. And he says, and that we do it with gentleness and reverence. You know, so many people don't have that hope that we have. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you for this church family here. I thank you for their love. And how much they care, not only for their families and their friends, but many people that they brush elbows with, that they work with, that they meet. And some of them, Lord, you know, are really struggling. Some of the people in our world are very confused. Lord, we just pray that we can be people of the truth. And that we can help those we're struggling to see that there's a better way to deal with their problems than the confusing things that are going on today. That this is just a drop in the bucket of eternity and that we can get them to see the joy, the peace that will be forever theirs if they just come to you. I thank you for these folks in their hearts. Help us, Lord, to be that compassionate and loving to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Please rise with me and receive the benediction, and let's close in singing our song. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all now and forever. Amen. Onward, Christ.